Thank you, musicians, for helping us to be in a really good place with the Lord right now. Exalting His name. That's the way we need to be. People who are exalting and lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Pastor Duane, for leading us so well in prayer. You know, I was thinking about um, where you were heading with that this morning, and I was trying to get a, a picture in my mind of how the Lord is going to accommodate us in heaven. In particular, the people we represent, the Calvary Baptist Church type people. Because I'm thinking, is he going to try and keep us away from all of the other nations uh, that, for fear that we might dampen their enthusiasm? Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking that when the Chinese show up, you know, if you ask them to pray like what you did this morning, it'd be a deafening sound. It'd be a deafening sound. I, I've been there many times. I've heard to the, many times in their settings. Only one time there, but many times in their settings. And I've heard what they're like. I was thinking about the Ukrainians. They have to keep us away from the Ukrainians. So they never sit down when they pray. They always stand up. Pray before the meal and after the meal. You're sitting there eating with them. All of a sudden everybody stands up. What, are we leaving? No, we're praying. And I won't even talk about what the Lord's going to do about keeping us away from the Africans. Because their worship is movement. So I'm thinking, what is, what is going to happen with us? Is he going to allow us to be with the other nations? Because I, I think we've got to move it up. I think we've got to move it up and prepare, prepare ourselves to be with them. That's what this time is all about, don't you think? Yeah. So uh, we're going to keep working away at it and see what the Holy Spirit does to prepare us for heaven because we're, we're not ready. We are not ready for what is it's going to be the rudest awakening that you have ever experienced in your life. Well, listen, have you ever been accused of following your faith out of convenience? I mean, has anybody ever said to you, well, that's, you know what, your, your deal is just a crutch so you don't have to face reality? That's what your thing is all about. Or, other, or, or something like, you're, you're just following this belief system because that's what your family did. That's, that's how you were raised. That's what most of the people around you believed and you just want to fit in with everybody. You just want to take the easy way out. It's just simpler for you to, to, to be like the culture that you, um, you were raised in. You're just trying to please people around you. Or, or, or maybe some people have said to you, you've just been indoctrinated. You, you've been hoodwinked by all this stuff. Or maybe um, some have said to you, don't you realize that what you are paying attention to here and giving your life to is, is really just the writings of ancient men? I want to ask you this morning a question that um, I think the text is going to help us answer. And that is, how convinced are you that this gospel thing is real? How convinced are you, really, that this, this gospel thing is real? How marked are you? I'm talking this morning about being forever marked by the gospel. Is that the, the, the description of your life? I mean, how much of a mark has the gospel made on you? How much of a mark has it left on you? How changed are you by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 1? Galatians chapter 1, we want to continue on and... 
from verse 10 on to the end in verse 24. If you haven't already, um, or you weren't with us last week, um, the simple reality is that we're starting a series in the book of Galatians, and, and Galatians is really a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul um, on the basis of, of a lot of trouble and accusations and har- harassment and persecution he was receiving from his former Jewish comrades about the fact that, uh, that he was just tampering with or fooling around or doctoring the, uh, the Jewish religion so that it would be more appealing to Gentiles. And so uh, this is the presentation that he seeks to uh, respond to. And we're going to look at a bit of a background check on the Apostle Paul a little, in a few moments. But, but I want to take a look at the text and, and launch from there and, and answer a couple of questions this morning. In particular over in the major rubric, how marked are you by the gospel? And I can't think of a better or a more important question to be able to answer, really. Am I now trying, Paul says, to win the approval of men, verse 10, or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God. And tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia. And later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, which that, by the way, puts an end to any thoughts of the permanent virginity of Mary. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what did they do? They praised God because of me. This is the word of God. Our Father, uh, what an exciting uh, part of the scriptures that you have given to us to encourage our hearts and grow and and know what it is to serve you and depend upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray this morning that, that there would be nothing of us and everything of you here. That I, I pray, Lord, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God. I pray, I pray Father, that, uh, that we would abandon the flesh or any confidence in the flesh and have confidence alone in Jesus Christ and in the glory of his presence. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit of God would be pleased to renovate our hearts and transform us and ensure in us th- that we are converted to the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that, that uh, this might be a real good time of self-examination and, and understand the nature of, of what it is to be a, a, a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, truly converted from uh, the life of, 
uh, of this present dark age, this present evil age, to be a servant of the living Christ. So, Father, uh, guide us and take us by the uh, work of your Holy Spirit into the very heart uh, of your throne room in heaven where we might sit, sit at your feet and be taught, Father, from you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question is this. Are you marked by the marvel of an incomparable message? And I'm, I'm talking about going past just being at church. I am talking to you this morning about what it is to, to live the gospel. That's what we're talking about, to, to be fully convinced that the gospel you have is completely trustworthy and authoritative. Because I'm telling you that it will not be possible for you to live out the gospel in your life unless you are incredibly and completely convinced that the word of God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is truly uh, trustworthy and authentic. And I, I want to talk to you a, a bit about um, Saul of Tarsus, or, who became the Apostle Paul. I'm taking for granted, at least I did last week, that most of you understand about his life and and it it occurred to me as I was preparing for this that maybe many of you don't. Maybe you don't really know about his background and we need to take a look at his background to, to, uh, to understand the complete transformation that took place in his life and how radical that was. And in order to analyze his confidence in the gospel and his, his, com- his complete trust in the gospel and, and his commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ was authoritative, I think we need to take a tiny journey in, into the, uh, the background of, of the Apostle Paul. Listen to how he describes himself, for instance, in Philippians chapter 3. He's talking about if there was anybody who ever had reason to be confident in the things he did in the flesh, in his performance, in his activities, in his religious activities, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, was that one man. He had every reason to be confident in his performance. Listen to what he says. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3 verse 4, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. In other words, any so-called upstart system of beliefs that was in competition with what I believe to be true. I was at the front of the line to stamp it out. I had great zeal to persecute the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Let's take a journey to the book of Acts so we can catch up with Saul of Tarsus in the early days of the church. In Acts chapter 7, we come upon the story of Stephen, who was a great leader in the early church, was much loved by the church and was a strong servant of God and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and was very courageous and bold and spoke a great sermon in front of all the religious leaders of the day and they rejected his message, the message of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7, when they heard this, they were furious And gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Saul was a very, very nasty man as far as it comes to the church. He was the kind of guy who would come into this church and would take great delight at dragging men and women in this very church off to prison for following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he was. Meanwhile, Acts chapter 9. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Now, pay attention to those words. Still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which was our first name, we weren't first called Baptists, you know. We were first called the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, the message of God, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat and drink anything. Down in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once... He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners of the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. That's a background check. Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. And, And we find out that That he was, uh, as I said, a very uh, tireless individual, zealous to put an end to Christianity until he encountered Jesus Christ. And almost immediately he began preaching. And then he went away, it says in the text, for three years where he studied carefully the Old Testament scriptures and allowed the Spirit of God to reconstruct his theology. 
And, and the important reality that he wants to present here to his detractors, to his opposers, is to say to them and to, to point out to them that he did not rush off immediately to talk to the super apostles about the gospel. He did not rush off to, to find out or be taught by man about the gospel. He did not go to the churches in Jerusalem and Judea to, to encounter the gospel of Jesus. He encountered the gospel of Jesus in a direct experience with the living Christ himself. So he talks to us here in the text that, that what he presents here is incredibly amazing. Because while the apostles were constructing their presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, because they were not scattered, they were in Jerusalem and Judea, while they were constructing the, the presentation of the gospel there, he had an experience with Jesus Christ in Damascus, and through the direct encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ gave him the gospel of grace, the grace of Christ, uh, which, for which he preached and recorded in independence from the uh, ancient and original church leaders and says, isn't it amazing? It's the same theology. It's the same story. Now, many in our world have taken to trying to fabricate accounts and religious movements uh, based upon a single author's presentation. The Bible is not that. And the Bible is a presentation of 40 different authors over 1,600 years. Uh, not with some sort of disorganized theology, but with a continuous and, and orderly presentation and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says you should have every confidence in the message of the gospel of Christ. It is entirely and completely trustworthy. It's not a fabrication. It's not an accommodation to, uh, to, uh, uh, to appeal to the Gentiles as if I've tampered with some sort of Jewish religion on my own to appeal to the Gentiles. We'll talk about why would he have such a reason to do that anyway. It's not a collaboration as, as if some men and women got together and said, let's create a movement and let's design a, a Magna Carta of the gospel. No, he says, this I got by a revelation from Jesus Christ himself. That's why we can have confidence in the word of God to us, in the message of the gospel. And let me ask you, has Christ revealed himself to you? Now think about this. Saul of Tarsus, who was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to haul them into prison, as far as he was concerned, he'd heard of this man Jesus. And he knew about the crucifixion of Jesus, and he also knew that he was put in a tomb. And as far as the apostle, or the Saul of Tarsus was concerned, this man Jesus was still lying in a tomb. He was firmly convinced that what he was doing was, in, was pleasing to God. He was firmly convinced that he was stamp, stamping out an upstart movement that had no theological validity. And he's on his way, and here's his gospel. All of a sudden, the one who was crucified and laid in a tomb presented himself to him. Jesus Christ spoke to him. And in that moment, he realized that this Jesus had been raised from the dead. 
he realized that this Jesus, who he thought was just a man with an upstart message, was truly the son of the living God. He realized in that instant that this message of Jesus, this presentation from Jesus Christ, was from one who was now identifying himself with that very movement that he was seeking to persecute. He heard the message of Jesus who said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus Christ was now identifying with his own followers. He was identifying with his own bride. He was identifying with his own body, the, the, the church of the living Christ. He realized at that moment that, that in fact this was the Jesus who had been prophesied about in the Old Testament scriptures. He realized that this was the Jesus who would come again and fulfill all the messianic prophecies. In that instant, he received the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That Jesus is the Son of God. That God has raised him from the dead. That Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and was raised again. That this Jesus was now the Lord of the church. And that this same Jesus would come back again and fulfill all of the messianic prophecies. That is the gospel that he preached. And that's our gospel. And it changes our lives. He realized that, G- that salvation is in Jesus alone and no other. No adding, no subtracting. Jesus alone. He, he was convinced that one's acceptance by God is solely by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he realized that, that this salvation and acceptance is available indiscriminately to all the world. He was on his way to, to persecute uh, Christians to preserve the, 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 the racism of religion, of theology. And on his way, he realized that this gospel was for all, that the presentation of this gospel was for everyone, for the Jew and for the Gentile. And it was not of any human works. He says in Philippians, if it had been a human works, I was at the top of my class. In terms of flesh, I was the poster child of performance theologically. And he realized that it was not of ceremony. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He kept all of the rituals, all of the ceremonies. And yet he was not right with God. He realized that it was all of faith in Jesus Christ. Are you marked by the marvel of this incomparable message? When salvation was presented apart from obedience to the law of Moses, Judaism was put out of business. And Jesus himself critiqued Paul's Judaistic work as persecuting the very Son of God. Now here's the second question for this morning. Are you marked by the true conversion power of the gospel? It's one thing to marvel at the incomparable message. But has it changed you? Has anything happened in your life? Has it transformed you as it did to the Apostle Paul who was heading in this direction and was abruptly changed in his life? He says, I am not ashamed, as he writes to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation, for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
What an amazing message that is. I am not ashamed of the gospel. By the way, because it, the gospel message, it's not a subjective experience. It's a specific message delivered. I get anxious when I ask people, you know, are you a follower of Christ? You know Christ is your Savior. You know Christ is your Lord. I say, well, you know what? One day I had a really warm feeling. One day I had a kind of a, kind of a saw light. It, the gospel, is not a subjective experience. It came to Paul, of course, with experience. But it came as a message from Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. It is a specific message. It, that specific message, Paul says, is the power of God for salvation. In fact, uh, the, the, the good news is that God has the power to save you. That God has the power to change you. That's what this is all about. And he says, I'm not ashamed of that gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation. It's not an optional thing among many. It is the only message that has been given whereby we might be saved. It is the only message. And it is the message of salvation. That salvation is we have been liberated from the principalities and the powers that terrorize and, and, and have It has radically changed our lives. Paul used to be a terrorist, a murderer of the church. And he was transformed by this message, by this gospel, by the power of God. He was transformed to be a preacher of love and kindness about Jesus Christ. That's what this salvation is. It radically changes people. And it's for everyone. It's available indiscriminately. For people of any nation, any gender, any intellect, any time, it is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what salvation does. Now, I'm going to give you very quickly this morning a summary, four things that will help you to to do a a self-study, kind of a self-check about conversion. You need to know this. Has Christ really done a transforming work in your life or not? Are you you just thinking he does? Well, it... The the Apostle Paul begins this way in verse 10. He says, here's here's a mark of conversion. Am Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? Am I still trying to please men? Because if I am, I'm not a servant of Christ. Are you motivated by Christ's approval most, only? Am I still trying to please men? You stop trying to please people. By the way, that becomes a very dangerous kind of thing in your life. You're misunderstood. You're often not liked. You're, you're often excluded from the gang. It, it goes against our nature. We would rather try to please people. You know that's all impossible, of course. You can please some of the people some of the time, but not all the people all the time anyway. But when you follow Jesus Christ, you please few of the people hardly ever. Because that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're motivated by Christ most. If, you stop trying, if, you're, if you're still trying to please people, you realize that you're, you keep trying to be one of them. And when you become a follower of Christ, you can no longer be one of them. And, and you regularly have to say to people, uh, you know, um, I, I've found a different way to live. And, and the impression is, then that means my way of life is not acceptable to God. 
And, and, and we're afraid to confront people like that. We generally don't want to talk to people about that because we'd rather they like us. We'd rather not confront them about these things. And so, so many of you would rather just bring them down the hall to my office and kick them in my office and shut the door and say, you look after them. You try and get them saved. Because we're afraid to take on that responsibility, uh, uh, take on that challenge. And, and for many of us here, we, we've had to break free from family customs or family traditions or family belief systems. And there is nothing more, more difficult than that. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of boldness. And quite frankly, it takes a legitimate and authentic converting work of Jesus Christ to do it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. There remains the possibility, you see, that you are more conscious of your peers' expected social and traditional customs than the Holy Spirit. What makes you what you are and how you think? That's what Paul's asking us here. Is it people? You're trying to be diplomatic, trying to be affable, trying to be uh, non-controversial, trying to be popular, or are you trying to please Jesus Christ? Because you can't do both. Are you able to tell people what they need to hear? What you know is true? Or would you choose to say nothing? When something truthful needs to be said. Paul says, when God made himself known to me, everything changed. Do you realize that you may be the person that God is choosing to use to bring that Damascus Road message to somebody? Do you understand that? To arrest them on the way and tell them the truth? Well, you're motivated by Christ's approval most. Secondly, there's a big switch in all the price tags of your life. Paul was quick to say to them in verse 13, you've heard of my previous way of life, <coughs> the way I used to live. I was trying to destroy the, the work of the church. I was advancing. Listen, he says, as far as price tags go, I was moving up the corporate ladder. I was advancing way beyond people of my own age. I was so zealous for what I believed in. I'd go to my superiors and I'd say, look, let me be the one who hauls these people out of this upstart religion. I'd love to do it because I love awards and ceremonies. And I love for the people to say, Saul of Tarsus, he's the greatest of all Pharisees. He won Pharisee of the Year award three years in a row. That's what he says. I'm, I was advancing. I, I had everything going for me. I was following the state religion. I was finding out that you could follow the state religion. You could be rich in business. You could be successful in life. And you could think that you were pleasing God too. I had it all. That was my price tag. That's what I valued. I, I put the highest price on all of those things. I never let religion get in the way of what I wanted out of life because, quite frankly, it was working for me. In verse 15, he says, But when God called me, Jesus was it for me. Now, let me say something to you, thirdly, here. Is your lifestyle testifying? to your conversion to the Lord. This is not a weak embrace to a, oh, God is love formula. This is an attitude um, of 
complete change of life. He, he didn't simply add Jesus to his life as some sort of good luck charmer. I'll show up at church once in a while. No, for him, this conversion was a complete change of life. And he's basically saying, what, what possible reason could I have to have accommodated the Gentiles? I, I mean, I had it all. I was respected. I was, I was a champion around there. But what, what possible reason would I have to tamper with a Jewish religious system so some Gentiles would, 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 would follow uh, or would, would be pleased with me? What possible reason would I have to do that? So when I changed, when I, when I met Jesus Christ, everything in my life changed. Listen to me. Conversion is not measured by your ability to dispense accurate theological information. If that were true, a computer would be the best Christian possible. I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood in this series, so I'm probably going to harp on this a whole lot. Your conversion is measured by how fully you live for Christ. You see, some people are, are, are quick to say, I've been set free. I've been set free. And they take that and they run with it and suggest, I, I, I'm free to live my life any way that I want. No, no, you're free to live Fully for Christ. That's what he's done. That, that's what he's enabled you. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's come into your life. And he's, he's enabled you by his power to defeat the principalities and powers of this present evil age that used to keep you captive to living fully for yourself. So that now you can live fully for Jesus Christ. You have been freed from that power that held on to you and kept you from Jesus, kept you from God, kept you from knowing life abundantly. All of that stuff that was hanging on you, you've been freed from all of that stuff. When, when Paul was converted, what he's saying here, that, that my lifestyle changed all the, uh, the vices and, and, the, and the vision and and all that was on this side of my life, I, I changed all that. I switched all the price tags of that stuff. And, and what my vision now was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I preached him everywhere. You've been freed from blindness. You've been freed from deafness. You've been freed from deadness. You, you've been freed from self-centeredness. You've been freed from hardness. You've been freed from wickedness. Does everybody know your lifestyle is shaped by your faith in Christ? Everybody around you. That's why he talks about things like my previous way of life. And formerly I was persecuting, verse 23. Now I'm preaching. <laughs> because he said, listen, God set me apart from birth and called me. L look at this. Let's, let's understand something here. Uh, Saul of Tarsus wasn't on his way to Damascus one day and God got a bright idea. Ah, I think I'm going to save Paul. Here's, here's what will help us to comprehend the 
the magnificence of our conversion and the magnificence of God. Before, Paul says, before I was even born, God had a plan for me. And he had set me apart. And you know, when you set something apart, it's special. He set me apart and called me, revealed his son in me, and I responded to that, that irresistible pull of God in my life. He says, listen, here's the contrast. I wasn't, I wasn't on my way to be a nice guy somewhere. I, I, I was on my way to wreck the church of Jesus Christ. I was on my way to do everything I could to mess up what God wanted to do in this world. That's the contrast. Sometimes we think, oh, God, God looks down and he's seen who's being nice and going to church. And, and, then he, and then he calls them into his kingdom. No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While the Apostle Paul was breathing out murderous threats on the church of Jesus Christ, while he was still doing that, Jesus Christ came to him and called him into his family. That's why Paul was so excited about God. I mean, Paul realized that what God should have done is destroyed him. But instead, he called him, set him apart, gave him a mission. Can I ask you, then, in light of all this, for finally, are you all in total devotion? You're not, you're not saved to, to realize the impact of all of this just after death, you know. As great a reward as that will be. You have been saved by the living Christ to live out what it means to model rescue from the present evil age. To reject the values and the voices and the vision and the vices. You've not been called to say, look, I, you know, I, I still have a lot of attraction to these voices and these values and this vision and these vices. And, and it's kind of cool that I got to pull the thing going on with Jesus too. I kind of got sort of a semi-gospel gig going on in my life too. No, no, this, this thing with Jesus Christ is all in or nothing. It's a, it's a life of commitment and devotion to the living Christ who spared no expense for your salvation. He was all in for you. That you might in turn be brought into his family and all in for him. Your commitment to Christ must be total and exclusive. If you need a pep rally from your pastor to get excited about this gospel, then you don't have it. This is not, I, I mean, I, I don't know how, I couldn't jump around enough here, stand on my head and whistle Dixie. I couldn't do enough to get you excited about this stuff. It's either you're excited about the gospel and totally in and totally committed to Christ, or you're not. Christ didn't save you so that you could now have more fun in your life or more leisure in your life or more lounge around time in your life. 
He paid the ultimate price that he might have you as a servant of the living Christ to serve him all the days of your life. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul says, not only did he set me apart, but he called me by his grace, which I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve anything of God's love, but he loved me and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach the gospel. There was a reason I was saved, Paul says. And there's a reason that you're saved. What's the reason you're saved? Why are you saved? Is Jesus your life? Or is he just getting some leftovers? I mean, we all need to be able to answer that question. Based on your giftedness, based on the call of Christ in your life, he's called you into his family, if he has. Based on all of that, why did he pay such an incredible price for you? And are you living your life in such a way that makes your mark. Based on your call to Christ, your gifts, and your complete commitment, are you on a mission that is worthy of the lofty price that was paid for you? Are you? Are you living your life for something worth dying? Say, oh, that's just a fanatic. That's just Paul. Did Paul stand before anyone and say, mine isn't the normative Christian life? He said, now look it, I'm, I'm going to write you a letter about Christianity and the core values of the gospel and all of that. But, hey, you know what? This is just for super apostles. This is just for pastors and missionaries. If you're not one, don't even bother reading the letter. Disregard this. God's not really holding you to this. Do, you, do any of us think that? You're kind of just staring at me. You were kind of hoping that it was just for super apostles, missionaries and pastors? No, no, this is the normal. Galatians is the normal Christian life. Can I say that to you? The the normal Christian life. If it doesn't resonate with your heart, I I, want to tell you that I don't want to give you any false sense of security that you have the Lord in your heart. If this isn't the way you want to live, if you want to just take it easy, pamper yourself, then you don't understand conversion at all. You don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. I I think all of us, as we conclude this morning, we need to come to terms with the questions in our life about why God saved you. Personalize it. Why did God save me? I think God saved me to come and preach this sermon to you this morning. And by the way, this this is not just... Well, as I said, it's not for pastors, missionaries, and other Christian workers. This is for every one of you. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ save you? Why did he call you? He called you so that. You need to to fill in that blank. The Lord Jesus Christ called me so that. I would... And I want you to get more specific than that. Don't be generic so that I would serve Christ. Exactly how are you serving Christ? Exactly how much effort are you putting into serving Christ? And by the way, not not to earn our salvation. You already have it, don't you? If you have it, how are you validating that it's yours? How are you validating that the Lord is yours? That you love him with all of your heart? That you're all in? That you're devoted? 
what exactly did God save you to do and how are you doing it and have you kept on doing it? There are three deadly L's that come out of Galatians. Legalism, which means supplanting the Holy Spirit. License, which means disregarding the Holy Spirit. And laziness, which means using the Holy Spirit. And how can you know what God wants you to do? Paul says, when he revealed his son in me, I knew. There's an inner conviction. There's wisdom of church leaders. How's it happened in my life? Wisdom of church leaders. Don't be a maverick out there. Mavericks are usually casualties in ministry. They do their own thing and then hope they can get retroactive leadership blessing. It doesn't work that way. Pay attention to the people around you. Affirm the people around you. Be a careful observer of each other based on your preparation and gifting. And and share with each other what you see God doing in each other's lives. And spur one another on to love and what? Good works. Turn around and ask somebody. Not right now. What are you doing? Maybe I should be right now. What are you doing for the Lord? Why did he save you? And what are you doing with all of your heart? Are you all in? Are you really convinced? Are you really converted? Are you really committed? They all work together. Lord God, I pray this morning that as you've challenged us, this is not about some pastoral pep rally. This is about a presentation of the Word of God by the power of God for the purposes of God that we might please God with all of our hearts. So work in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There were three things we emphasized this morning and I want to make sure we we, we know what they are. Are you convinced? that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is trustworthy and authoritative for your life. Because if you believe that, then the Lord Jesus Christ will come into your life and change you and transform you. Are you converted? Have you been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Truly, honestly, you've turned from the voices and the vision and the values and the vices of this present evil age and you have turned fully to Jesus Christ. That's what conversion is. And when you've done that, all the price tags are changed. Are you committed? All in? All in. Jesus Christ gave everything for us. Not that we would pamper ourselves or pleasure ourselves or or give ourselves a, a, a great kind of easy life, but that we would ask the Lord Jesus Christ, how can I serve you? What do you want from me? What is it you want from my life? I'm in. And not just for a while. I'm in until you take me to my eternal reward. That's what Christ is calling for us. Lord God, thank you for loving us that much. 
And I pray that by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, you would change us and transform us to love you back, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.